You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Brittany. It's really nice to see you. If you're a guest with us online, or if you're a guest with us today, welcome. If you're joining us online, please use our digital connect card. We would love to be able to connect with you. Um, and the only way we can do that is if you make a comment. Look at me. I'm like, <laughs> what are we doing this morning? Um, <laughs> oh, I... The only way we can connect with you is you, you use your Connect card. And the same is true, too, if you're a guest with us downstairs. Um, we would love to meet with you after service. We know some people have to jet out. So please leave some way for us to get in touch with you because we would love to be able to get to know you more. Um, we enjoy family. And I, we were sharing, Jen posted a really beautiful picture of some of the girls dancing last Sunday during worship. And it just made me think we are strangers who become friends, who ultimately become a family. And our table has always got room for more people. So whether you're online or you're here with us, we're so glad that you're with us, and we would love to invite you to just hang out around that table with us as we follow Jesus. Um, We're going to continue in our series. If you're new with us and you have no idea what we're doing, we are in a series going from cover to cover in the Bible. It's a big book. It's a challenging book. There's lots of things in it that we don't always understand. And so we felt like as a church family, it would be a really good idea for us to work through the beginning, the middle, and the end so that we can capture God's heart, which really is just in pursuit of humanity. God knew you before you were born, loved you, and is in pursuit of a relationship with you, um, which is one of the most beautiful and incredible things that we could ever encounter. And so if you have missed any of those talks because you just haven't been around, they are on YouTube, Facebook, and all the places that you get your podcasts. So you can go and start back in Genesis and then get all the way up to where we are today, which is the end of Samuel. So if you're reading through your Bible, whether it's online or you're using a phone or you're using an actual paper copy, God bless you if you still have one of those. Those are wonderful. You can make all sorts of notes in them. Samuel was actually one scroll. It was originally written and covered the time frame of like 1170 to 900 BC, so a long, long time ago. And it was written as one large scroll, but because it was so long, when they went to put it into the Bible that we know and love today, they cut it in half. Uh, Basically, they figured if we started going on and there was a book with 60-some-odd chapters, maybe we would stop, although that's what we do with Psalms and other things, so I'm not quite sure the logic in that. But needless to say, it's a story of transition. So what I really love about Samuel is you're watching the development of a nation. We ended Judges. Ooh, that was loud. We ended Judges, and Israel is in the promised land, but they are loosely affiliated as tribes. So sometimes we think, oh, they got to the promised land, and everything was good, and they had a king. They weren't. They were a people group who were affiliated, but not entirely connected. They had their own kind of governing politics, a lot like the states. And so the book of Samuel is basically their transition to becoming like the United States in the sense that they have one central government, one king. And we read that story in that transition through three primary people, through Samuel, who the scroll was named after, through Saul, and then through David. And David gets the most screen time of all three of these people. We get to watch his start as this youngest child in a big family full of boys. So he was the baby of the family, in case any of you can relate to that. Um, All I know is the baby in our family is Judah. And whenever we have freeze pops, I think this is categorically true of most young youngests. I don't want to offend anybody. Judah will make me hold his freeze pop. He's like, you do it, code, code. I'm like, listen, kid, just because you're the baby, you got to hold your own freeze pop. 
But David is the youngest. He is a shepherd, which is a grueling job. They're living out in the fields, taking care of sheep. Obviously, they have stuff like bears and lions, and they have to protect them at all hours of the day. Um, And so we get to read his early life, and then we get to read as he moves through being anointed by Samuel, which is chosen by God to become king, and then the journey to get there, which is pretty rocky, and then his actual time as king and ultimately his death. So we get to read this whole long story. Um, And one of the things that we find, not just in David's life, but actually in Samuel and in Saul, is that it is impossible to have a journey of faith with the Lord without surrender. Like if I were to take one primary theme, there's so much good stuff in Samuel, way more than we could ever cover in a couple of weeks. But if I were to take one piece out of the whole thing, it's that it's impossible to follow God without surrender. And so last week, Susanna chatted about that with us. We talked about how David's life was marked by humility and trust in the Lord. He chose to honor God and then was honored by the Lord. And so if you want to take 60 seconds, you can turn to a neighbor and share how you applied her message from last week. And it's okay if you weren't here. Instead, you can just share your favorite thing that happened this week. So go ahead. After Susanna's message, I felt like the Lord was calling me. One habit that I used to be in um, and had just fallen away from was taking about 30 minutes before, when I got into work and praying. And it wasn't always 30 minutes. Sometimes it was five. Sometimes it was, you know, 30 seconds. But there was something about acknowledging that, God, everything I do is for your glory, and I I want to be in line with your heart today. And I had just fallen away from that habit. I would get busy and then, you know, not prioritize time with him. So I didn't do it every day this week because I actually forgot on Monday and Tuesday. But then when I got back to the middle of the week, I'm like, I definitely had uh, an application. So... That was mine, and I think it was really helpful to remember. um, Sometimes we put a lot of external pressure on ourselves, and it was good to just remember that I'm here because the Lord has called me. Somebody else want to share, one person, how you applied Susanna's message from last week? Yes, April. So on uh, Friday, I went to a benefit for my friend's uh, daughter who passed on football. So good. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today, but thank you for sharing, April. Yeah. Sure, Barry, what do you got for me? <laughs> hey, that is, a <laughs> that is a wonderful thing to celebrate. There's always something. There's always something. Well, today we're going to look at the sad part. You guys just get me on all the sad, <laughs> sad messages, judges. Um, we're going to look at the downfall of David, but actually I think it's a really beautiful message, and I'm actually thinking it'll spark a lot of hope for us this morning. So Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence to come more. Um, We ask that you would bring revelation to your word and that you would just stir up a new level. God, just level us up today in our journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm not done asking questions, lots of questions today. What qualifications do you think God would look for in a good leader? And you can call them out. Compassion. What qualifications do you think God would look for in a good leader? Integrity, trustworthy, humility, faithfulness. Don't worry, I'm not trying to like lead you into a trap here. (laughs) Good listener. Wisdom. Yeah. Willing to, what was Dan, menacing? (laughs) Humility. It's the British accent. Um, yes, willing to admit they're wrong, Johanna. 
Well, it's interesting. I think we all have a pretty good sense of the fact that God's looking for character characteristics, right? He's not necessarily looking for someone who's done the job before and has lots of external skills and abilities. And yet, that is exactly why Saul was chosen by Israel to be the first king. They basically had everybody parade in front of him. And Saul pops up, and he's like the tallest guy, the most dashing. And they're like, you, you definitely have the qualifications to be the first king of this newly formed nation because you look good. Can you imagine getting a job that way? Just walking down the street, and someone's like, you should be the president. You look good. Um, we're not going to get into that. Who knows? Maybe that, maybe that would be a better thing. I don't know. But anyway, Saul ends up being a deeply insecure person. He is really anxious about this job that he's been put into. He doesn't really have the character to support the weight of responsibility that he finds himself in. And so as a result, he kind of reverts back to his own wisdom over and over and over again. You know, God didn't send Saul in to like do this without any sense of what to do. He gave him Samuel who gave him very clear directions. Do this. Don't do that. Go here. Please don't go there. And yet Saul, because he was not surrendered to God over and over and over again, just kind of does his own thing and he makes a mess of things. He makes a mess in his own family. He makes a mess in Israel. And ultimately he gets himself killed. And that's because... God's not looking for people who are leading just because they look good on the outside. 1 Samuel 16, 7 is a conversation between the Lord and Samuel, and he says, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. He's talking about getting to David for the anointing. He says, for the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, all along, God is looking for people who are completely and utterly surrendering their lives to him. That the primary characteristic, all the things you gave us are absolutely good and absolutely true, but the primary characteristic, the one that really will make or break a leader, the one that will really make or break a follower of Christ, is our willingness to live utterly surrendered to him, to completely trust him. And this is exactly what God was telling Israel all along. If we think back to the time when we were in Deuteronomy and we were talking about the Shema, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And we talked back then that the Hebrew word for heart was the word lev. And in the Hebrew, there was no understanding or word or context for brain. The heart was the center of Hebrew life. It's the place where intellect was held. It was the home of everyone's emotions. And it was also the place where you held all of your desires that impacted the decisions that you made. So I were told in Proverbs 4.23, the heart is the center, the wellspring of life. Because in the Hebrew world, that's where it was. Everything was here. And so God is looking for people who will put him first in all that they think, all that they feel, and all that they want. That is exactly what the Lord is looking for as like the primary characteristic of those that follow him. And it's interesting because if we understand that, then the second piece to that is also recognizing that humanity, because we were created by God, are fully recognized, realized, understood only when we are in relationship with the God who created us. So that means we have to be surrendered in him in order to discover our identity. Who am I? And why was I created? My purpose. Those things cannot be understood outside of a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the only reason and way we can get to that relationship is by completely trusting our life to him. 
But as we do those things, we begin to realize who we are, why he made us, the callings, the gifts, the desires. The dots begin to connect for our lives as we live surrendered. And this is why God ultimately chose David to be the king. When it became God's choice and not Israel's choice, he's like, I'm not going to go for the guy that's the tallest, the strongest, that looks the best. I don't care that David has no military experience and he's not some special politician. I chose David because he brings to the table the one thing that I cannot give him, which is a willing surrender to me, right? We, God doesn't force us to surrender to him. That's not something he'll ever ask of us. And so the only qualification that he's looking for is somebody who is completely surrendered, which he finds in David. And he says, David, I can add the rest. There is nothing in your life that God can't bring to you when you are living fully surrendered to him. There's no calling that he can't give you all the skills you need. There's no situation that you're walking through. He says, when you put yourself in that place of vulnerability, essentially what you're doing is giving God permission to give you everything that you need to live. And that might not be everything you want, but it'll be everything that you need to live. And so that's what we find in, in David. It says, really, to be a person after God's own heart like David was, was to be somebody who trusted God so implicitly that, we, that they've turned over all control of their life to him. And when David lives that way, it goes really well for him with his relationship with God and really poorly for him circumstantially, right? Because surrender does not mean that there is a guarantee that life is then going to be simple. We want that. We're like, God, I'll give you my life, but you have to make it easy. Or God, I've trusted you with this, so then it should just work. And the reality is that's not actually how the world operates. Um, when, David become, when David surrenders himself, gets anointed by God, roughly 15 to 20 years pass before he actually becomes king. And that 15 to 20 years is miserable. He is the guy that he's serving under Saul, the king, basically caused him to leave his house because he's trying to kill him. So he lives as a fugitive in caves. His wife, Saul's daughter, is given to another man, like just given away. And he is disconnected from his best friend, which is Saul's son, Jonathan. You know, David loses all of his framework of support and understanding when he lives surrendered to God. And I just want to put this out there. I had a cool conversation with Sharon this week. But have you ever said yes to God and things got worse? I'm seeing a lot of head nods because that's the reality about surrender. Surrender is not a guarantee to a simple, easy, everything we want kind of life. Surrender is actually very expensive. It's very costly because when we surrender control of our life, what we're essentially doing is saying, God, I am not going to try and chase after all of the things that I think I need and want. I'm going to trust you to provide what I really need. And that is a place where we then find ourselves giving up expectations, time, or your timeline, power, what you think is your right. You know, it's very easy for us to talk about surrender without realizing that it is a very expensive thing to do and that it doesn't necessarily mean that life is gonna be simple all the time. And we have to recognize the truth of that because none of us should be walking into our relationship with God thinking it's all about the roses. But I want to be very clear as to one of the reasons why surrender is so costly. 
David gave his life to the Lord and was like, you can do whatever you want. You want me to be king? Great. You want me to kill Goliath? Cool. You want me to do all these things? I'll do it. I don't understand it. And David was very clear with the Lord that he had lots of questions. In fact, one of my favorite comes out of Psalm 59. This is when he's fleeing from Saul. And at the end of verse 4, he's, David says to God, I have done nothing wrong, yet they prepare to attack me. Wake up. See what is happening and help me. Right? David's like, I gave you my life. I, I have no idea what is going on. And he feels a freedom to be honest with the Lord about that. And yet David doesn't turn away from God because what he recognizes and what we should recognize is that when we choose to surrender to the Lord, it doesn't mean that the people around us have. God is not the reason that, that Saul was suffer, or that David was suffering. Saul was because Saul was not surrendered to God. Sometimes we blame God for the challenges we go through when the reality is it was people around us who hurt us. It wasn't God's fault. He didn't do anything. He didn't... He didn't cause or inflict pain on our lives when we surrender to him just because he was like, did you really do it? You know, did you mean it? He's like, no, you're surrendered to me in the middle of a world that is not. And so when you surrender, when you acknowledge the cost and you accept the cost and you walk into that, you're walking against the current of the rest of the world that is going in such a way that they want to hold on to control. And so surrender costs us. And if we're willing to pay that cost like David was, if we're willing to stick it out, to ride it out with the Lord, then we need to have a surrender that is not just, my mom told me to do it. <laughs> I'm going to church because my, my parents said so. Like, that's not going to hold you down when you lost your job, you can't pay your bills, the car's on fire, I don't know, all the things are going wrong. If we want to be able to stick it out and stay in that surrendered life the way that David did, even in the midst of Saul trying to kill him, his wife being gone, not having connection with one of his best friends, then we need to be rooted and grounded in the truth that God is actually good and he always loves me. That is the only thing that is going to bring you to a place of being able to actually surrender to God. Because if you just think you can do it or you just try and do it, it's not really full surrender. None of us is going to be in a relationship with a human being that we don't trust, right? You might know somebody that you don't really trust them, and how much of yourself are you going to give them? This much? Like they maybe know your favorite color? You're not going to tell them the deepest parts of your heart because they're not safe, right? You know that you don't really trust them, and so you're not going to give yourself freely to them. But when you meet maybe your spouse or like one of your best friends and you have that connection, and it's not that there hasn't been conflict, but you really know one another, there's a place of trust that allows you to be vulnerable with that person, that allows you to give your heart to that person and know that they're going to handle it well. And the same is true of the Lord. If we want to be surrendered people, then really that cannot happen if we don't trust him. And most of us aren't going to trust God if we don't think that he's safe or that he's not good, which is why this series is so important. Because one of the questions we asked you all was, hey, how has your image of God changed from even from Genesis to Deuteronomy? Like, what happened for you in that timeline? And a lot of people responded back, I realized that God's not as angry as I thought he was, or he's a lot more patient than I thought he was. And that, those understandings of the heart and the character of God are what beckon us into relationship with him. We're told that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not being convinced, certainly not being like, you better do this or else. If we're 
if we enter into a relationship with God out of fear, then we're never going to fully get to a place of surrender because we don't feel safe with him. And David, in the midst of everything that's going on, clearly trusts and believes that God actually loves him. Because in the same psalm where he's like, wake up, God. Oh, we're getting to that one. So good. In the same psalm where he says, wake up, are you paying attention? He says, but as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. David looks back in order to stay where he is in a place of surrender. He says, God, you have been good to me. So even though I'm in the middle of a crisis, I am not going to be shaken. I have lots of questions, but I still trust your heart. I have no idea what's going on, but I know that you're good. I hate everything about this, but I am not giving up on you because he's anchored in his trust in God's character. And that allows David to not be shaken because the reality is surrender. Johanna can go back to that beautiful picture. For us, surrender is a lot like a continuous trust fall with God, (laughs) right? You're like, I don't know. Are you back there? And you don't hear anything. You're like, are you back there? No. Are you sure? And then he's like, just fall. And you're like, I still am not sure that you're back there. Um, But the reality is that is what it's like to live in surrender to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, where we give him entire control of ourself. We trust him with all of that. And we know that he will catch us because we believe that he is good and that he loves us. That is that foundation that allows us to step fully into a relationship with him. And so while surrender isn't cheap and it's definitely not easy, it will bring us to that place of freedom. It will put us in a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which is where we can fully come alive. The only place we can fully come alive. And Jesus alludes to this in Matthew 10, 39, where he says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. Meaning if you try and control everything about your life and you hold onto it as tight as you can, you're never going to realize life. You're never going to be able to embrace it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Meaning if you give up control, if you release your desire to just do everything the way you want to do it, if you allow him to have all of yourself, that's when you will actually find freedom and that's when you'll actually figure out what it means to live. And so David reveals all of this. He shows us what it looks like to walk through a really hard season and stay anchored and rooted in surrender to the Lord because he knew that God was good, which is what makes the second half of David's life, which was really the part that I was supposed to preach about, um, and I won't, it won't be nearly as long as the beginning, I promise, uh, but it makes it really hard to understand what just happened because David's greatest hits becoming the king and all the stuff that led up to it as far as being surrendered, staying in humility, trusting God, honoring Saul, is then followed by like his worst tracks. You know, every band has their greatest hits, and then they have the ones that everybody's like, no, don't download that. Um, we have four primary issues, and I'll share each of them because there's, it's something powerful within it to see that David sort of lost or disrupted his surrender with the Lord. The first is with Bathsheba and Uriah. So if you haven't read this story, 
you can check out the text behind me. Um, essentially, David sprang, and all of his troops have gone off to fight their wars. During David, there was a season of peace where they really pushed back all the enemies. They expanded the territory. And for whatever reason, we don't, we're not told directly, but David doesn't leave with his troops, which he should have done. So he stays home, and he gets himself into a load of trouble. He's a peeping Tom. And he sees this lady who is married to somebody else. Yeah, if you're like, the Bible, what is it? It's got lots of rated R parts to it, too. Um, he takes her. You know, he, you don't have to, I don't have to explain that for us to realize the significance of the fact that he forcibly takes her from her husband, and he gets her pregnant. And then because he's like, oops, that was bad, he has her husband killed in order to try and cover it up, which doesn't ultimately work. And everybody kind of finds out about it. And the child, unfortunately, dies, as does Uriah. It doesn't get any better for David. It's almost like he has this conflict in himself as far as his confidence. And he's trying to trust himself and not the Lord. Because then in 2 Samuel 13 to 18, we read this longer story of conflict within his own family. Where his eldest son, Amnon, who is the heir apparent, the one who should have taken over after David, actually... Um, Again, sexually advances on his half-sister Tamar. And the third son, Absalom, there's one in the middle who we're not really sure. He just gets rejected, I guess. He gets so angry at the eldest brother that he wants to kill him. He takes his sister into his home to protect her and provide a place for her because she's now considered disgraced. And he bides his time for two years. And in that two-year period of time, we're told that David is torn up about it, but he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't address Amnon. He doesn't talk to Absalom. He doesn't handle the conflict within his own family. He doesn't have control over his own sons, which if you think back to the beginning of 1 Samuel, is exactly what Eli the priest was charged with. And so because he doesn't deal with the conflict, whether it's fear, we don't really know, Absalom murders Amnon and then tries to take the throne from David. I mean, talk about spiraling. And David, for the second time in his life, is evicted from his home and is forced to live in caves as he runs away from his son who's trying to kill him. It doesn't end until Absalom is actually killed. Now he's lost two children because of a conflict that he refused to deal with. On his way back home, they've all agreed to make Absalom king. David's back. They're like, oh, no, what do we do? So he's like classic human politics, and we're like, oh, we're just going to play out all the sides. So Absalom is dead, and they're like, well, maybe we should make David king again. And, and Judah like, takes a little convincing, and then they're fully on board, whereas the northern tribes are like, yeah, we're not really sure yet. So Judah essentially just says, well, we're going to make him king, whether you're on board or not. And they bring him back to Jerusalem, and they make him king. Well, of course, the ten tribes are a bit miffed. They're like, we, they quite literally say, we have ten, or ten shares in him, and you only have two, because it's Judah and Benjamin versus the other ten tribes. And so it creates a civil war. Right? David is this great king. He's had a lot of wisdom. He's prevailed and, and shown himself to be really strategic and smart. And yet, he allows the nation to fall into civil war until, again, more people die. Essentially, the, the primary instigator who pulls the other ten tribes and say, David's not our king. And so when Sheba is killed, the nation kind of settles down and goes back to sort of its semblance of order. But still... David moves to this place where he's not listening to the father's explicit directions. The end of his reign in 2 Samuel 24, David performs a census, which is just counting people. And God says, do not do that. 
And David's like, I'm going to do it. And you're like, every toddler ever, I said no. I'm still going to do it. And so he does it, and God's like, you stepped outside of my boundaries, and now somebody has to essentially die again. Like David's decision led to more death. And so we see that when he chooses, whatever disrupted surrender in David causes havoc for the people around him. It causes chaos in his own life, and it causes chaos in the lives of his family and the people that he is leading. And so we have to recognize in ourselves, the the beautiful thing about David is that he is a picture of us, right? Because we're not going to be perfect in this journey of surrender. We're all going to run into moments where our trust in God is going to waver, because of experiences, because of fears, because of whatever, stuff that we walk through, circumstances. And the reality is, is when we do that and take control back, we're only opening the door for chaos to come into our lives. But yet, in spite of all of the things that David did, God never stopped his loving pursuit of David. There, of course, were consequences to his actions, but his love remained the same. And so the same is true for us. Even when we falter and fail and turn away, I'll tell you my favorite, my favorite failure story. It's not my favorite. There's many. But God gave me very clear directions. I had been dating someone for three years, and he was like, this is not the person for you. You need to break up. And I was like, no, thank you. And I dated the person for seven more years. Just seven. See, some of you are like, I, I love telling that story when new people are in the room. Mostly because God stayed faithful to me, right? Even though I disobeyed him directly for a long time, God did not reject me and say, sorry, Brittany, you're disqualified forever. Go away. God continued to lovingly pursue me. He didn't take his spirit from me. He didn't forget about me. He just persistently stayed alongside me through all of the messes that I made. And the same is true of David. And so when we find ourselves in that place of faltering, when we begin to doubt, we don't even know the storyline of why David faltered. We don't always see the issue. Why didn't he trust God when it came to going off with his troops? Why didn't he trust God when it came to dealing with his kids or coming back onto the throne, which I guess we could have avoided if we had dealt with the kids? You know, why did he do the census? We don't know what was stirring up underneath him, but what we do know is that all of us have moments where we are going to be tempted to try and take control of our life back. And God, as much as he implores us, he says, don't do it. We're going to, and we're going to make a mess, and it's not going to change God's love for us. He's going to help us clean it up because there will be consequences, and some of them might be really big. We might live with the consequences of our not wanting to live surrendered to God for the rest of our lives. But that won't change his pursuit of us as his kids, of wanting to bring us into his family. And so what we need more than anything, especially when we sense ourselves struggling to surrender to God is not a program or a bunch of lists that we have to do. What we need is something that reminds us of how much God loves us and how good he actually is. We need to be able to look back and say, oh, God, I saw you move here, like David said, so even though I'm in the middle of chaos, I'm going to choose to stay in a place of trusting you. And if you don't have any of those moments, it's making some with the Lord, saying, God, I am really scared right now. I'm really overwhelmed or angry or confused. I don't really want to trust you. I don't know if you're safe in this moment, but I also know that Unless I am close to you, I am not safe. 
because I'm opening the door for other things. So help me. Let me create an encounter with you so that I can know for certain that you are good and I can stay close to your heart. And that's really where I want to end with us this morning is that some of you can look back and you can say, God took care of me here and here and here and here and here and here. And it's important for you to know and be able to go back to those really quickly because that'll help you to sustain when you walk through those difficult seasons. But others of you need to build those and there's nothing wrong with that. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to um, do a practice. It's a spiritual exercise that um, I'd usually do with my spiritual director. Um, so we're going to start ministry time off a little different than usual. But I'm just going to give you an opportunity to, to do that. But before I do, yeah, Joe, if you want to pop that question up, I just want you to take a minute privately to yourself and feel like ask that question to the Lord. What am I afraid to trust you with? God, what am I afraid to trust you with and why? You might not know the why yet, and that's okay. We're going to move into this spiritual exercise called the practice of being known. But I want to give you one last encouragement about surrender. When you find yourself in a place where you are really struggling to give control to the Lord, I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to think badly of yourself like you have somehow failed. David reminds us that surrender is about progress and not perfection. The Lord still loved him even after all his hang-ups and mess-ups because he's inviting us continuously to make that decision to trust ourselves back to him again and again. And so if you find yourself today, this very morning, really struggling to let go, really doubting his goodness for you, really wondering if all the good things you experienced in the past are even valid, that is an invitation from the Lord to know him more. He's not angry at you, like up in heaven yelling at you. He's beckoning you to come close and see and taste that he is actually good. So when you find yourself in a difficult moment, I want you to reframe it and say, Lord, this is an invitation to go further with you. This is an opportunity to let you love me more than I've ever been loved before. And that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to have you get comfortable. Hopefully you already are comfortable and you haven't been sitting uncomfortably for the last 30 minutes. Um, I would encourage you to close your eyes. We're going to do an imaginative exercise. So if you are not kid-like anymore, I'm going to challenge you. If you think, if you're like an Enneagram 5 and spend all your time in your brain, we're going to have you tip over into that artistic side a little bit. Um, and as you're just settling yourself down, take a deep breath. And I want you to imagine, just like you would if you're picturing, you know, 
the person you love most, I want you to imagine in your mind's eye a physical environment to you that is peaceful and calm. It could be the ocean or a lake or a forest. Really take a minute to let it come to life. What do you hear? What do you see? What do you smell? What do you feel in this place? As you find yourself in this beautiful environment, this peaceful environment, I want you to look around and see where Jesus is. You may not recognize him at first, but as you scan around, pick him out. What's he doing? What's the expression on his face as you make eye contact with him? As he gets closer to you, as he draws near to you, how's he dressed? (laughs) Is he doing anything funny? Jesus likes to have a good time with us. just imagine him pulling up a seat next to you at the beach or some mountain log. And he looks you directly in the eyes and he says, oh my goodness, it's so good to see you. I am so pleased with you. I was looking forward to this very moment we would share together. And I urge you not to turn away from his gaze or his voice, as uncomfortable as you might feel. Jesus looks at you and he says, I'm not worried about the laundry list of things that you think you haven't gotten right. I'm here for this moment. I want to give you a minute to just be honest with the Lord now as you're you're sitting next to Jesus just to have a conversation with him about the thing you are struggling the most to surrender to him. 
your life, your kids, your job, maybe it's everything. <laughs> but just have the courage to be like David and say, what is going on, Lord? Be courageous and say exactly what's on your mind to him. Notice that he doesn't get up and run away. He stays alert and present to the things on your heart. And as you express those things that you're having a hard time surrendering, just imagine Jesus putting his arm around your shoulder and saying, I'm here for you. You can trust me. I'm sorry that someone hurt you so bad that trusting me is scary. But I'm not going anywhere. And he makes the invitation to you. Would you like to put that into my hands now? And that decision is yours. Because his love for you is not going to change one way or the other. fact, I bless you right now as you're having this time with him to just feel God's love for you exactly as you are. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Holy Spirit, pour out a recognition of how loved we are by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit right now. that you would carve out this time, this Sunday morning, to have an intimate moment in a room full of people with each person here. Because you see us and you love us 
and you want us to entrust our lives to you. So I'm going to give you a couple, one more, 30 more seconds just to just thank Jesus for the moment. If you want to say anything else or if you want to listen to him. As you're ready, no rush, but as you're ready to just move on from that moment with Jesus, just thank him for meeting with you this morning. surrender to you unless we trust you and we can't trust you until we know your heart for us I ask that this morning would be a tangible memory that we can plant in our mind and not turn away from that would be an anchor like David where we can say God you have been close to me and you will stay close to me Give us courage to take that next step with you and say, God, I'm going to give this thing to you now. Because I know that you love me, and even if it's hard, you will not abandon me. And I thank you that on the other side of that is more wholeness for each one of us. Thank you for your presence this morning, Father, Son, and Spirit, for the way that you continuously pursue us because we are your special children. You love us, you delight in us, and you want more for all of us. Let us be filled with your love right now that we may give it away as we go throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm.